You're listening to the Transform Podcast by Senior Housing News. I'm your host for this episode, Senior Housing News reporter Nick Andrews. Today, we're talking with Doris Ellie Sullivan, the CEO of Retirement Unlimited Incorporated. In the early weeks of 2022, RUI acquired a nine community portfolio. Now, the operator operates 19 communities in Virginia and in Florida. Amid a historic labor crisis, RUI has found ways to reduce its agency usage and increase recruitment and retention by paying more attention to the kinds of people that are applying. A male will apply to a job that he meets 60% of the requirements. A female will only apply to jobs that they meet 100% of the requirements. Obviously, we need to teach our women to be braver and and, and be more risk takers. We really need to change maybe some of our verbiage, the way we advertise to know that I think we really started looking at the way we're advertising and make sure that we're not taking ourselves out of the mix just because there's one bullet point that a female may not think, if that's their way of thinking, that they've got to check all 100% boxes. Today, Doris Ellie Burke sits down with us to talk about recruiting, retention, philosophy, the current state of the industry, and how she blows off steam. And I'm joined now by Doris Ellie Sullivan. We're here in the Transform Podcast. It's a really exciting time. It's the fall of, of 2022. And we want to welcome you to the show and, and thank you for taking the time to sit down and, and kind of dive into some stuff with us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Oh, good. So uh, I, I kind of just wanted to learn a little bit more about you. You've got a fascinating personal story. We know we're familiar with you a little bit and I wanted to just hear how you got into senior living. I know that you were have a military background. Could you just explain to me a little bit about your career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was in the army and I was a nurse in the army. When I got out of the army, the active part of the army and went into the army reserves, I took a position at a skilled nursing facility called Director of Staff Development. And it was able to bring education, nursing, and my passion for seniors together. And that was in 1995. And I've been doing it ever since. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, I have uh, healthcare worker friends in in my personal life, and I I feel like most of us do. I call them scrubbers, people that wear scrubs to work, doctors, nurses, techs for the frontline workers. And I find that there seems to be quite a bit of crossover for from a well-run medical operation and and a well-run military, of course. Do you find that to be the case? Uh, absolutely. I think that I think that what I've learned from the military, um, especially work ethic, go time, um, obviously helped us a lot during COVID, right, to activate and deploy troops. I really uh, dug in and, and there's a lot of folks on our leadership team that work that have military backgrounds. And so I think, but then also being a nurse, I donned on the scrubs and worked in our communities, um, especially our hardest hit COVID communities to ensure our line staff knew I was not going to ask them to go into any community that I wouldn't go into myself. And so our team from the home office deployed as CNAs, servers, cooks, dishwashers into our hardest hit COVID communities in 2020 and 2021. So what was that like for you, uh, putting the scrubs back on? How long had it been and what was that like for you? Uh, well, one, scrubs are way more comfortable than my suit and heels. <laughs> so sure. I, I, I would like to wear them all the time. It actually, um, interesting story, um, at our Heatherwood community, the CNAs and the nurses wanted different scrubs. They wanted the, uh, the kind of scrubs that have the um, elastic bands on the ankles. And I explained to them after working shoulder to shoulder with them on several shifts. The next week, we got a whole box of new scrubs, and they were my first uh, team to try those out and changed our uniform, transformed our whole entire 
uh, line staff uniform uh, because of that experience and because of the feedback from our uh, team members on site. That's fascinating. So how, how quickly did you make that a priority and you hear like, oh, is this the situation? Let's fix this. Yeah. So I called our uniform company and said, let's fix this. And I said, I said, send every type of scrub that is possible within our price range and send it out to our team. You know, shout out to Shrell Bradley, who was our med tech who led the efforts and they gave me their top choices. And that's what we implemented our new uniform policy based on uh, that experience. And we were able to do that pretty quickly. It's kind of like what we say. It's interesting. You said military. We feel our leadership team were like the Navy SEALs, although I was in the Army. <laughs> and the Army Rangers are great. We are not so bogged down in red tape or um, bureaucracy that we can make decisions pretty quickly and move pretty quickly. That's uh, a really kind of a fascinating advantage to be able to move that quickly. Are there, do you have any other examples of, of times that uh, you guys have done that? I think, well, everything, obviously, everything, all things related to COVID. I think that our our board has given us a lot of support and a lot of autonomy, and I lead autonomous also, that, you know, when we have things that just don't make sense or things that can be more efficient or we have solutions, you know, we're a very work the problem kind of organization, right? Put your defensive shoulders down. Let's work the problem. And once we get that solution, let's implement it and not take 10 weeks on talking about how we're going to implement it. So that probably comes a lot from nursing, military, or maybe me growing up on the farm. Not quite <laughs> sure where that comes from. Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit more. So where are you from? Which state? And what kind of farm was it? And yeah, just tell us the hunky-dory stuff about what you learn on a farm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I don't currently live on a farm, so how about oh, that? Okay. <laughs> I had a fantastic upbringing. I was, I was born and raised in northern Michigan. And um, we, our farm was harness racing, uh, the sulky carts uh, horse racing. Wow. Um, and so horses were not for pleasure. They were our, our business. There were um, four generations of that. We are flanked by Amish farms. So we learned a lot um, about just family community. And I think that's partly with our communities is our different communities definitely help each other. And um, I truly believe in that community involvement four o'clock in the morning till, you know, nighttime, full farm. Uh, there was no, there was no sports for sure. me growing up. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I kind of understand that I am from Wyoming and well, my father worked in, we were in a mining community. My father worked in the mine. Of course, Wyoming ranches and farms are a big part of lifestyle. And there's, you know, the, 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 the kids that grew up on a farm, it's kind of a different thing. You know, it's a, it's isolating, it's hard work. And there's, I find that People like yourself who have that kind of upbringing have a lot of perspective that never really goes away. Do you find that to be true? I do. I think it's 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 a work ethic also. I think it's a work ethic of if you don't finish your work, you don't eat, right? And so I think that's a whole different kind of a lens uh, to look at. And, you know, there was not college in my future. I think, you know, I came up for several generations of farmers. And so when the army came to my high school, looking for army nurses, I raised my hand and said, okay, this is my opportunity to, to, to do something completely different than anybody in my family has ever done. Yeah, I can, I, I can imagine. So you were in the army. Um, I've, off the top of my head, forgive me if I'm mistaken, it's a six-year commitment. Is that true? Four, it was four years for me, four years active, four years uh, reserve, and gotcha. eight years inactive. I got you. Okay, cool. So now I want to kind of talk about uh, what you're doing now with uh, with with RUI is sort of deploying frontline workers in in COVID nineteen and and as we turn the calendar to 2021 and then 2022, it seems like we are as a species kind of crawling out from behind the boulder a little bit. 
and surveying the landscape for the last nine months or so. So I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts and ask how how you guys are doing in the post COVID nineteen landscape um, in this postmodern world, and then what it's been like in twenty twenty two in this new normal, as they say. Great question. You know, it's interesting for us um, because it's it's kind of like we have two kind of sides of that post COVID. We have the Virginia side, our Virginia communities. We've uh, built them. We own them. We operated them. The culture has been ours from ground up. And so those communities have fared well. It's also where we're all located. And, you know, we've gotten to the other side and, you know, we um, are doing well and really bonded together probably very closely. You know, I did not shut down the RUI home office. We did not work from home. Uh, We did not go to full Zooms. And more importantly, when I say deployed, everybody who was in the home office had to pull weekend shifts at our communities um, in Virginia. And that's our CFO uh, who came from Jägermeister, who had no clinical experience. That's our whole team. And they worked as servers. And and it was just really important for us to ensure our team knew that we were there with them. We're not going to ask them to go into communities that we weren't willing to go in. And so I think because of that, you see that in our Operating results, you for sure see that on our retention and, you know, our turnover rates um, because we really had the bulk of our staff with us because they knew that we were in it together. And I think that was very positive. On the other side, you know, we just recently on January 1st, 2022, we took over seven buildings in Florida. A few months prior, we had taken two buildings in Florida prior to that. So we had them kind of post-COVID when things were still going differently. You know, we came from an environment in Virginia where we're 98% vaccinated uh, from our team members. We actually launched mandatory vaccinations in January 2021, which I think is a really critical date because it was really in the summer when everybody else did. And Mm. back when we launched the mandatory kind of mandate, I think it was more about our staff was more scared of the science, right? They were just like, did it come out too fast? And, you know, there was a lot of nervousness, whereas I think as it evolved through 2021, especially through the summer, it got more political, right? It was more about the politics. And so then we entered into an environment in Florida where, you know, the vaccine rates were like in the teens and, you know, they just had a different kind of uh, journey through COVID. And so, you know, it's been kind of different depending on which side of the company you, you know, or which state you, you reside in. How did you navigate that? Because I, I find that in my experience anyway, the apprehension of the vaccine could be addressed if you simply shook the hands of someone who worked on it. Like, you're like you can't put a name to a face so they don't know. And like, I totally understand that. And things went the way they went. But as a company where mindsets might be different, you know, in your kingdom from this place to this place, how do you navigate those waters? I think that it was really important. I feel like one of my, you know, you know, everybody talks about secret sauces, right? And so, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. our team and, and hiring people way smarter than me is a big part of my secret sauce. But I think that I'm a very approachable president. And, you know, I think I'm on the floor and on the lines. And so I think the fact that we stood up, got our vaccines in the communities, our whole entire home office team, and, you know, it was for the greater good, right? It was to protect our residents and to protect our team members And I think that's what we kept the focus on. We wanted things, as you can imagine, back in 2020, right? We wanted things to get better. We wanted things to change. And if the vaccine is what could get us there, then we've got to do everything in our power to keep our residents safe, keep our team members safe, and keep our families safe. And I think that 
if you're genuinely, you know, truly feel and believe that, I think that resonated to our team. I will say that one of our kind of areas that we explored that really helped us was we ensured that any kind of vaccine, you know, memos or, or, or documentation about what about the vaccine, that we had it in every single language. And we, um, you know, we, we deal with a, a lot of different ethnicities. And so we made sure that all of that was available so that those folks could read it in their comfortable language. And, and, and really, I think that was a really big, um, helpful tip for us. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting frame of frame of mind to, to to think about it that way, and that everybody on your team could be from a different background or a different upbringing, and and to bridge that language gap is really kind of fascinating. So, how do you breed a culture of inclusivity and thoughtfulness like that? Absolutely. So, I think if you, I, I don't know if you've visited our our website, but if of you course. look at if you look at our leadership page, I mean, I think we're like the definition of DEI before it became uh, popular, right? Uh, yeah. So, I think that for us. You can definitely tell just by our leadership page and then go on to our communities. You know, we are a very diverse group and lots of talent and great attitudes, right? And so I think those three combinations and just the work ethic and the commitment, um, you know, I think those folks that are on that leadership pages were in those communities willing to do anything like everybody and, and had, we had the deficits of being smaller, right? So we didn't have these like, big contracts with medical supply companies. You know, our, our plan operations teams were driving and literally going to all these local pharmacies in these local towns, buying up all their supplies at the beginning, you know, with cash because they didn't even want credit cards, these local pharmacies. So, I mean, we really got creative and we really worked the problems and, and we came together as a team. And I think that's what's helped us get to the, to the other side. Yeah. So now that we're on the other side, and you mentioned uh, an acquisition earlier this year uh, to the portfolio, I believe. And so I wanted to ask, let's get into a little bit of the the business of, of RUI and what your plans are now and, and moving forward. So you have this small or this portfolio that you bring into the fold. Uh, how did that deal come to be? What was the motivation? How long it had been in the works? Just kind of take me there, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So our company is actually 40 years old. It started in 1982 by the Fraylin and Waldron families and still being run by family members of the Fraylin and Waldrons, our board of directors and our CEO is William Fraylin. And, you know, we had this really unique opportunity. We also had a large sister company called Medical Facilities of America, which had 42 skilled nursing facilities that was sold in 2021. And so we had a lot of, you know, capital in a very distressed market. And we wanted to grow our senior living and we've never grown it not ground up. So since I've been on board, we've built four buildings, which brought us up to 10 um, in Virginia. And so we are looking to develop, we have three developments in the works, but we also are looking at the opportunity for acquisition. I think really it was COVID and the construction prices, right? It is probably it is it's a much better deal to find a building in uh, the location that we want that maybe we can put in our signature programs and kind of put our RUI touches in versus building something from ground up, uh, more affordable, I should say, and also mm. timing because of the supply chain. And so we set out and, and kind of changed our strategy plan instead of building everything from the ground up is to um, blend that with some acquisitions and also to start and open our, ourselves up to some third-party management agreements, which we've never done, to bring us into other states so that we uh, can create regions and create scale at, at, a, at a faster pace. 
Yeah. So what is your plan for the regionality and, and the scale? Or I know that there are some, there's a school of thought that having kind of these pods of regionally focused uh, operations are, are helpful. What are you kind of thinking and, and what are the pros and cons to setting it up with uh, sort of like regionality like that? Yeah, I think, you know, for us, um, if you kind of take a look at our, you know, our communities, you get an opportunity and you're more than welcome to come visit us. And, oh, and thank it, you. Our food's great. It's fantastic, I should say. It's why we had to create a FIT program because we all gain. It's called the RUI 15, by the way. <laughs> it's not the freshman 15. And that's our residents have came up with that term. You that's gain pounds when you build it, when you join an RUI community. I think for us, we... Our culture, kind of our, the way our operations are, we're a very formal company. Everybody in the community wears a uniform. So, you know, every, you know you're know, you greeted by somebody in a full suit with a scarf or a tie, you know, depending on, on their choice. And, and, and when I say everybody, including the executive director. So it's a very formalized company. And so for us, we feel that Virginia down to Florida just makes sense for us regional wise. And so that's where our focus is. We do believe in the regional oversight, folks that are on a regional kind of, it's a great word that you use, pod, so that they can deploy to the community by car, right? And especially during this time of air travel and cancellations, we want to make sure that our regional vice presidents of operations, our nurses, our plant operations, and some of those folks can get to all their buildings by car. And so that's kind of the scale and kind of the strategic plan that we're looking for for our growth. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that, of course, makes a, a bunch of sense and being able to drive somewhere. I like to say that when I travel, I, I, if you can drive and it's convenient, you should think about it because you're in control of your own destiny. Even if it's a little bit more annoying, like I can go somewhere. Like I'm not beholden to American Airlines or Delta or whomever, not to pick on them. <laughs> but yeah, well, it's important. I had a, a flight attendant tell me if you're within six hours, you probably should drive. That's what she said to me last week. (laughs) My wife and I, we went to a wedding in Canada, not to go too deep down this rabbit hole, but I had been Googling Pearson International Airport and we decided to fly to Buffalo and drive across the border instead of flying to Toronto. Right now, they're telling us, you know, it's not a good situation. So regardless... um, That's it's good to con- kind of control your own destiny. And, and, and like like you said, if you can have this ability to keep it kind of local among the broader view of things, you can keep this a uh, brand of formality and, and apparently preposterously good food all in line and everybody can be on the same page. But how how do you set up a management team so that everybody's on the same page like that and that they, there's consistency across the board and you cultivate this management culture from the ground up. How do you make sure that everybody is on the same page? Great question. <laughs> you know, I, you know, consistency is obviously the key, right? And of course, with integrity, but I think that in an autonomous kind of, you know, flat organization that we have, you know, trust and validation, right? So we, we give folks the tools, we make sure they're set up for success. We give them the onboarding and the training but you have to validate um, because what we've seen, not just through COVID, but just in senior living, especially at the community level and then at the regional level and then at, at the home office level is that you have to actively manage your buildings every day, right? You have to actively manage your buildings. And if you actively manage and you plan uh, for, you know, your days, I think you you have that success, but it really, it's a trust and validate um, system you know, that we operate under, you know, in our kind of our autonomous kind of flat culture that we have. Sure. Yeah. And I, that's an interesting way to think, think about it. 
Certainly. So I kind of want to uh, ask a little bit about your portfolio and how you guys are doing and you know the, the, the standard questions that we have to ask everybody um, in this post-COVID world. So I guess, but I'm going to try to find a fun way to ask it. Between the three options of thumbs down, thumbs sideways, and thumbs up, where would you say your occupancy is right now? In Virginia? <laughs> thumbs up. In Florida, <laughs> thumbs sideways. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so what does it look like moving forward? How do you get everybody to be two thumbs up? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we've we've had uh, Florida for now um, eight months, you know, so I, I think that we're, it's been a work in progress, uh, you know, establishing our teams, getting the culture in place. The biggest things for us, you know, our differentiators, which of course are born and bred in Virginia is our signature programs, our quality care program. Um, you know, obviously quality is a big focus, especially with me being a nurse. So I think that, you know, we've always adopted the clinicals there, the financial will follow. And so putting, you know, transcending the culture signature programs and that support into our Florida uh, buildings, you know, has been a challenge. But as when you see the wins, it's, it's exciting, right? It's, 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 you know that the residents are going to have um, a better purposeful life, but more importantly, you know, the team members are going to be taken care of. So that's what I would say would be kind of one of our pieces of getting, aligning our census our, you know, margins, our clinical outcomes, our, you know, retention, our turnover rates, all the things in Virginia and emulating those down to um, Florida. Yeah. So do you have any goals for uh, census and margin or are you more worried about the kind of like the, the laying the bricks and, and then figuring that out as it comes? And so in terms of when you're going to get to where you want to be? Yeah, I mean, obviously, everybody wants us to get there tomorrow. <laughs> but, you know, I, I we have us, you know, probably from a military standpoint, right, I'm very strategic. And so we have a strategy plan. And, you know, it starts with the 90 days, you know, for us, we really believe in the MOM system. And I don't know if it's because I'm a mom, or if I coined it, or if I read it in a leadership book, but month over month improvement. And I think that helps when you break down when people look at strategic plans or business plans and it's 90 days or it's the one year strategy plan, it gets really overwhelming and people need wins. Right. And so and that's wins at at the community level, at the you know the line staff level, at the department manager level, at the regional level and above. And so we really believe in MOM month over month, incremental improvements, measure goals that we can. One of the things that we have is our LEM goal system, our leadership is a pillar system that the same goals roll all the way up to myself, right? So everybody is aligned in their goals and everybody is incentivized by those same alignments. And our most important thing when we look at everything is not how are we going to get to where we need to get to in December, but what are we doing in September to have a good September? And then in mm -hmm. October, did we have a better October than we did in September? And I think that month over month, actively managing trust and validation is key to, to success. I kind of want to continue down this path of, of what the future looks like and how we're weathering the current situation. But I want to touch on everybody's favorite thing, which is the labor market and recruitment and retention. And of course, in my reporting at Senior Housing News, just in the last six months or so, I've noticed that there are essentially two parts of this. Part one is that more money and more stuff is going to work. And part two is that people also want to feel fulfilled if you can offer meaning in your life that goes a long ways. And everyone says that you want to feel good about where you work, but you also want time with residents and patients. That matters a lot to people in the care industry. So how are you utilizing the schools of thought that are culture and money and, and improving recruitment and retention? 
Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that was interesting, I was watching a TED Talks, it was Roshana Saviana, and it was talking about, you know, I have to put my women in leadership plug, right? So it was, <laughs> it was talking about just, you know, how we raise our girls versus how we raise our, our boys. And we raise our girls to be perfectionists and polite. We raise our boys to be brave. And it's interesting because in the HP report that she referenced in there, a male will apply to a job that he meets 60% of the requirements. A female will only apply to jobs that they meet 100% of the requirements. What? That doesn't sound consistent with my life at all. Uh, <laughs> I've never done that. <laughs> exactly. And so I thought about it and I, 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 you know, I was like, wow, we really need to change maybe some of our verbiage, the way we advertise. And obviously we need to teach our women to be braver and, to, and, and be more risk takers. Um, from that standpoint, but we are a female dominated industry, especially at the line staff level and at the community level. And so to know that, I think we really started really looking at the way we're advertising and how, you know, and, and make sure that we're not taking ourselves out of the, out of the mix, just because there's one bullet point that a female may not think if that's their way of thinking that they've got to check all hundred percent boxes. So we've kind of looked at that from that side. I just met with a bunch of uh, state senators and House of Delegates and the Commissioner for Education here in Virginia, and we have put a very philanthropic company. I always hate saying that word. Yeah, it's a tough one. So, you know, we've put a lot of our money into a lot of four-year institutions, Virginia Tech, Radford, UVA, and uh, Roanoke College. And one of the things that we shifted our strategy for our giving, you know, REY Gives Back is our program, is we've donated a lot of funding into community colleges. And mm-hmm. I really think that community colleges are the key, but, you know, not to do a commercial and they probably, they probably need to come find me, but the ECPIs of the world, those, those private colleges that can somehow fast track a nurse, a CNA, a culinary team member much faster than the traditional community college or the four-year universities. I think that, to get the workforce and to kind of get the get the the supply and demand, we really got to relook at the way we're training the workforce. Because you know we run a restaurant, a healthcare community, and uh, a country club, and mm-hmm. so you know we're really looking at community colleges and some of those privates. Like, how can we help kind of take that fast track from that side? As far as the the, the money question <laughs> that everybody <laughs> has, you know, it's interesting if, if we continue to you know, I think Chick-fil-A here in Roanoke, they posted a sign that said $18. This is Roanoke, Virginia. We don't have a Costco. So you know how small we are. Sure. And it's my plug for Roanoke to get a Costco. But, but, you know, I think that for us, it's that we have to ensure that the compensation is not only, we feel the compensation is there, the package. We just need to make sure that we're communicating that package. So for example, we match 401k. And so we have really worked hard to ensure that our line staff understands, you know, we want them in five years to leave with a little nut, 10 years, you know, how, whenever, however long they work for us and, and leave. And we feel that the value of communicating the whole compensation, our health insurance is extremely affordable because we're self-insured and we've insured that because we want healthy team members, right? We want you to go to the doctor. We want you to have health insurance. We want your family to have health insurance. So I think for us, it's been a focus on that compensation package and making sure that we've kind of 
redeployed all of our resources to ensure that everybody understands the total compensation, especially, you know, we're very fortunate in um, Virginia that we don't use agency. In Florida, we are very close to being out. We, we're down to one building in agency. But, you know, when they look at that agency price as a nurse and they look at our price, we want to make sure they understand the whole package of that, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. And it's, it's kind of interesting. A lot of things I'd like to circle back on, but just to kind of build off of what you're saying, I've heard from operators that it's it's difficult to get staff to understand the benefits of these long-term financial options and that a lot of uh, workers are kind of opting for pay me right now. And I'd just rather have cash in pocket as a way to kind of live your life. And I remember opting out of insurance when I was like 22 years old and be like, yeah, Obamacare, I don't care about this at all. And then now I'm 401k and IRA and like I want, let's just get that number as big as it can go. And I think to myself, damn, I should have cared about this a lot more when I was 24. I, and not that it's not too late, you know, in your late twenties and thirties and forties, but how do you educate people to say like, this is, oh, there's a lot more going on here than, than what Chick-fil-A is paying you like this. You're, you're in a safe situation as an employee here. No, I think there's several things. One is we we have a great PowerPoint where it like puts me against like the 24 year old, <laughs> and it shows that the 24 year old is going to be way better off than than I am if we put in our same you know five hundred dollars for example. So right. we do some have some of those fun things um, that I'm kind of from there. The other thing is because we have the tenure of uh, being uh, for 40 years, we have some very long tenured team members that have participated in the 401k, and we match 401k too. So, you know, we show those grids of how this is actually free money, right? So if you take $1,000, how many hours did you have to work to make $1,000 tax-free? And so we really make sure that uh, that we're really spelling it out so that it's meaningful for them, but it doesn't hurt their paycheck because it's pre-tax dollars and it makes a lot of sense. And, and when we show some of the balances of like a housekeeper that's been with us for 15 years or a CNA that's been with us for 12 years... We have a, a server that's been with us for 35 years. Whoa. Her 401k plan that she didn't start until probably like 15, 18 years ago when 401k really started is enormous. And she's a server. Um, and it's amazing. Uh, she's a great example um, that we utilize so that folks can kind of see because not everybody's career path is trajectory. And so you can make a good living, have a great culture and a great work environment. But you can also have a little nut in savings for, you know, after your 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 work time. I did want to touch on the one thing you were talking about with purposeful living as far as our team members. You know, we have had a great approach with a Virginia Tech on their sustainability, professor of sustainability. In fact, Virginia Tech just released an article of our two-year partnership that we've had. I'm trying to think of the word partnership. <laughs> <laughs> uh, partnership. And, you know, ESG has been very important to all of us. And I think it, our CFO came, um, it's interesting you said he's from Toronto, Canada, mm -hmm. but he came with a very big ESG background, which is not normal for, I think, senior living. It's not really mm -hmm. one of our top five pillars that we focus on. And since uh, Ryan's been with us, we've had a great focus on ESG. And I see it in our residents. Our residents have really adopted it. And our team members, I think, leaving the earth, kind of that Patagonia, right? Leaving the earth better than, than how we got it. We received it. So our focus on ESG, our RUI give us back, some of the things that we've deployed and resources and our partnerships where they're not just census development or workforce development, but it's truly, you know, that sustainability partnership, I think has also really helped us with our team members getting involved and seeing that we're trying to make a difference. 
Yeah, so that that making a difference thing, like I mentioned earlier, uh, it seems that people I talk to are saying that millennial workers and Gen Z workers really care about their role in society. And it's we're in a situation where the pursuit of happiness and fulfillment seems to be at the forefront of of workers in the young workforce. And I, if you're if you're saying that, that seems to kind of align with that thinking of if I will take a dollar less an hour or two dollars less an hour to work in senior living, if I feel that A, I could climb the ladder theoretically, and B, I'm, I'm working with people who need me to do a good job. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating that the, the workforce right now is really thinking about their place in the world. I truly believe that. I think you're spot on. And I think that when our team members have the opportunity to participate in some of the RUI gives back, you know, instead of coming to work, they can participate in some of that. I think that balance has been nice. And I think seeing the change uh, one of the things that we've been participating is uh, is not just like we've gone through the garbage. That was one of the projects with Virginia Tech of of, of waste and how we can different uh, differentiate, you know, kind of how we sort things and what's there. But we've also looked at our culinary departments on the food waste and who who can we give that food to and partnered up with homeless shelters and some other folks. And I mean, so instead of you being a culinary team member that's possibly throwing it out or, you know, trying to figure out what they're going to do with it, the fact that they can drop that off to a homeless shelter or somebody comes and picks up all of our food, I think that's that feel good, right? And and like like I got my little goosebumps, right? I mean, mm-hmm. people come into senior living or I think all kinds of healthcare because there is something in them that, you know, that affirmation of doing good for especially seniors, that's your grandparents, right? Those are your respected elders. And I think it's just an honor that we are able to blend that. But it's interesting that the seniors that are moving into our communities, they're very passionate about it. They're passionate about recycling and sustainability. We have facilitated TED Talks, and I sat in with our RUI University coordinator, Mary Kate, and they were talking about plastics in the ocean. And I'm telling you, I was about to write the president and say, hey, (laughs) my team solved that problem. And it was four residents, two employees, and they solved plastics in the ocean. So um, I think it's been a, a great it's a great intergenerational too. It's, it's it's a connectivity between our staff and our residents too. That, that's a fascinating angle, angle I've never really th- thought about, to be honest. But it makes sense that uh, the people who are the CEOs and kind of retirees of the Fortune 500 companies now are the same people that were marching all over the place in the 60s. And so it stands to reason, I guess, right? I mean, it makes sense. It's the the two generations probably have a lot more in common than than they thought they did. So when you mix them together, like, oh, I agree. What are we doing? With the, with the earth is on fire. What are we doing? And the staff's like, I agree. That's, that's, that's an exciting uh, thing to do. Okay, so I want to ask you a little bit about yourself and we'll, we'll wrap up a little bit here. And I know that uh, women are disproportionately asked about work-life balance, so I'm not going to ask about work-life balance. I'm going to ask about when you don't have anything to do for your career for 72 hours, what do you do? If I turn the corner over here, you would see <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a golfer. Oh, yes, um, me too. And <laughs> I'm a golfer. Um, and so... Golf came when my my last child went to university and, and it freed up some time. <laughs> so um, it, it came later in life. But what it gives me, I think, is it gives me outdoor, fresh air, something to focus on. And I truly, unless there's something seriously, I truly am able to disconnect um, while I'm on the golf course because, you know, focusing on my golf game. And so I think that's that's my pleasure. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, I preach in the choir here. I'm a big fan. One of the life lessons that it's taught me is that the the course, like 
is undefeated. There's nothing that you'll never beat the course so that you can get frustrated or you have a good day or bad day, but you have to respect, you know, this journey that you're on of like, I did everything right. It didn't work out. And the course won again. And that's, uh, that's, I mean, I, I love the game for that exact uh, sort of reason. So I also wanted to ask you, cause I drive, I'm located in North Carolina and I drive North to see my brother in Washington DC. Occasionally I think I go through Roanoke. What is the building in downtown Roanoke that looks like a Bavarian hotel, like it's out of a German storybook? Is that, am I making that up? That's a no, thing, no, no. right? That's our hotel Roanoke. <laughs> yes. Okay. I, I knew it had to be as like, it just seems so out of place. So I, I really wanted to ask about what it's, what it's like to be there. But what do you think about the community? Tell us a little bit about what it's like to live there. Absolutely. Well, first of all, if you ever want to stop by, I'm a member of Valley Hacked, part of the Dormy Network. So I'm aware. if you live in North Carolina, you have the Dormy mm-hmm. Club. And just so you know, it's 155 slope rating for you, 145 slope rating for me. Wow. <laughs> Only golfers understood how painful that was. You can all Google it. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's a big number. And um, all I can say is, yes, my husband and I get our teeth kicked in, but it's so beautiful. The service is great. We keep coming back for some reason. <laughs> yeah, they, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's masochism at its finest, to be honest with you. You just watch your paycheck disappear. That's, uh, I call it, yeah, it's, I call it the, the home of the disappearing $100 bill, Absolutely. for sure. Yeah, actually interesting. We just had our, our leadership retreat in July at the Hotel Roanoke. It's our only conference kind of hotel here in Roanoke. And we had our team there for our kind of our halftime reset leadership retreat. And they have, you know, they have that, you know, that channel too, where it says, shows the history. Mm. And, you know, I mean, obviously it was started in the 1800s with the uh, railroad and it's progressed. It now is being uh, managed by Hilton and Virginia Tech. That's their hospitality program and training center. Ah, So um, it's got a nice, a nice kind of history uh, about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I it stands out. I mean, I love Bavarian stuff, and Oktoberfest is my favorite time of year, and so I'm all about it. I'm like, this does not make sense that this is here. There has to be. This has to be a thing. It looks pretty cool. So I always wanted to ask about that, but I'm always driving through. I don't ever have time to stop on my road trip. So I thought I uh, <laughs> thought I would take us on a little side journey there. But Doriselli Sullivan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I hope our, our listeners and our readers enjoy this conversation and, and really appreciate you carving out 45 minutes of your life to uh, kind of go down memory lane and give us your thoughts. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate the opportunity.